All right. Hello, everyone. This is OC3 Frequencies, a podcast by the Oak Cliff Cultural Center. We are a division of the City of Dallas Office of Arts and Culture. I am Rafael Tamayo, the manager. I almost forgot my own name. I am Rafael Tamayo, the manager. What is your name? Yeah, what is, what is a name? <laughs> um, I'm the manager here at OC3. Super excited about today's episode because we have a wonderful artist. We're in the middle of um, his exhibit right now. We had a great opening. But I'm going to hand it off to our OC3 staff to kind of give us a little intro, and we'll dig right in. Hey, everyone. I'm Iris Bechtel. I'm the cultural programs coordinator here overseeing exhibitions at the Oak Cliff Cultural Center. Thank you for joining us. Um, today we have a wonderful artist um, who just opened his exhibition, Punjabi Cowboy. Um, we're here with Usama Khalid. And I'm pronouncing that? Yeah. Right? Thank yeah. you. Usama has printed his, presented his work in exhibitions, cookouts. And yes, that's cookouts. He lives in Dallas, Texas with his fiance and three dogs. Um, and just want to give you a little bit of background on Punjabi cow- Cowboy. Um, this show features Khalid's miniature paintings and self-referential sculptures uh, that address memory, identity, food, immigration, and Pakistani culture. So we're going to start it off with our first question. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, did you want to say anything before we no. jump right in? No, okay. no, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so can you talk about um, growing up here in North Texas and and seeing the immigrant experience through your father's eyes and how that's influenced this body of work? So from what I saw growing up here, it was constantly seeking community. So my dad was the exact opposite. Um, because he is very much a loner. He doesn't want to deal with people outside of family. So go to work, come home, leave me alone. Let me read and let me do what I want to do. So I was very, like, I'm a very extroverted person. I like being in company. So until I had friends who were like, let's go to the mosque, let's go to this person's house, let's go to that person's house. And then I became part of this bigger community of, like, Sudanese people, Palestinian people, like not really that many Pakistani like families and people, but just everyone else, you know, we were at this person's house and this person's thing. And then it actually felt really nice to have that. But then like at the house, you know, don't bring people over. Don't invite your friends. Like for the most part, you know, like if he's yeah. if he's at work and it's like a weekend, then I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, bring over whoever, as long as y'all are like not in my way we're good i was like okay that can i can do that so (laughs) um a lot of a lot of people's lives center around the mosque especially Mm -hmm. like muslim like families and so it was really nice to see to see that and like just because my dad wasn't about it you know didn't mean that like someone else's father Mm -hmm. wasn't you know like hey it's maghrib or isha like the last two prayers Mm -hmm. of the night let's go to the mosque Mm-hmm. You see other families, you see friends, you see everybody. It's, it's, I don't know. It was, it felt kind of like how I imagine people going to church on a Sunday mm-hmm. and you see your neighbor and you see other people, you know. So that was like the correlation that I had. So, um, you know, when you're talking about community, you're talking about having all these people around you and sort of having your, your father be sort of like introverted and you know um kind of all business maybe Mm -hmm. sounds like um but looking at your exhibition i mean there's like 
over 43 pieces in the show. And most of them are these really wonderful, intimate, small, what you call miniature paintings. Mm -hmm. So first, I want to kind of comment um, and respond to what you were saying about community. And just from like with my own perceptions, like thinking about the installation of the show of those miniature paintings, they kind of feel like a community mm -hmm. for one thing. Um, but also when I kind of ask like, why, why miniature paintings? Uh, I decided to do miniature paintings because in grad school, I had been working in a larger size for some time. The mm -hmm. first year I was like every other size, weird dimension mm -hmm. possible. And then they lost all my studio. So when they moved from one building to the other, they lost everything. Oh, no. And I was picking up the pieces afterwards because all I got was like, well, yeah, we'll give you some money and we'll, well we're sorry, but you know, you still have a thesis to present. Yeah. And at that point, I was tired of having like a storage unit full of these massive paintings that mm -hmm. aren't going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, um, I started doing research again on miniature painting and it was like a very popular style of painting coming out of like South Asia, mm -hmm. um, Iran, Pakistan, India, you know, and I decided, okay, I'm going to make these miniature paintings. And it was actually Ryan Goolsby, the tech at SMU, who was like, well, we can put this piece of wood through the CNC machine and we can cut out, you know, whatever kind of shape you want. Um, and he goes, then they're going to be very small pieces and we'll make it easy to mount. We'll put keys on the back of them. Yeah. Super, super direct. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take a page out of that book because a lot of the miniature paintings are done on like circular surfaces, small square surfaces, mm -hmm. you know, like typical painter stretch, like painting stretcher kind of dimensions. So for me, I was like, how can I make it more personal to me? Mm -hmm. uh, my mentor, John, when we played dominoes, would give me the triangle as like mm -hmm. my designation for points. And the triangle became like my symbol, Okay. Um, which I don't know why, like I so strongly like aligned mm -hmm. with it. But then I was like, OK, any painting in the exhibition that's a triangle is like from my perspective. And then all the circular ones are from like a maternal or like from you know, a nurturing perspective. Sort of like womb-like almost. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's, again, reflective on John because John was a circle. So, again, tying it right nurturing. back. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he would take time out of his day to show us a process or explain something to us or say, hey, like, let's go to this place to go look at this work or mm -hmm. go do this. And we'd say, yeah, sure, you know, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. So It's really cool that you have um... – from from you know my experience and from seeing you know the, the the work and then talking to you on several occasions it's really cool to see these this like communal approach like with the barbecue with the cookout things that you do so that component of just your practice is really cool because that's who you are and that's what i get and that's what i see and it's it's interesting hearing your story because um a friend of mine had stopped by to see the exhibit and I walked in there, and so for a split second, we thought that one of the pieces, uh, as soon as you walk in on that far wall, we, it resembled like the Virgin Mary, the outline of the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. And so then I was telling him about, um, you know, the opening, the the Punjabi barbecue, and like, you know, what little information I knew about you and, and, and your practice. And we were making these connections, and even talking to you right now, like, that family setup sounds 
oddly similar to a lot of the Mexican families that I know, right? And like my dad's the same way. He's very quiet. He doesn't really say a whole lot. And it's it's like work, family. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. that's basically the formula. So um, one, I want to say that that's really cool to see all of that kind of communicated through who you are, how you um, how you present your work. And then, you know, if someone's just checking out the exhibit and, and you're not here, mm -hmm. um, I had some some really basic questions. Um, why, uh, why why cookouts? I think the some of the happiest times in my life have been at cookouts. Uh -huh. I think that like as a kid, when especially because because of my dad's like you know like you said he's very introverted. He doesn't want company that often at all. So for most of the year, our house is like just the TV running and, you know, brief conversations, but not really that much, you know. And then we go to Pakistan mm -hmm. and in Pakistan, he does a 180 like he suddenly comes alive. Mm -hmm. Like the moment he gets off the plane, he's cracking jokes with everybody around him. He's, you know, this completely different person. And I would see this like personality change. And in Pakistan, because it's summertime, kids are out of school, you know, most people are still out going to work, but then the weekends, you know, it's like, oh, let's go to this cousin's house, or let's go to this aunt's house, or let's go to grandma's house, and let's go, and you go there, there's always food, there's a big spread, you know, they'll have the biryani, the, you know, korma, the rice, the, all these different dishes, and all the adults will sit together in a room, and so... A lot of times in like Pakistani culture, there is gender segregation, you mm -hmm. know, because they'll keep men separate from women. And that's something that's normal, like in Islamic society. Right. Like I've seen that here mm -hmm. where like the women will be in a separate living room. The men will be in a separate living room. But for my dad's family, they didn't they never cared about that. Mm -hmm. It was just like, oh, bring so and so in and bring yeah. this person in and like and. I also I love those occasions. I yeah. used to love like as a kid just running through the room and you know hearing these stories about do you remember when you crashed this car or you this happened to this thing and you you know like and you get that history from people that like you don't see every day every even weekend, right? Mm -hmm. It's just those two months in Pakistan, June, July, a little bit of August sometimes. And it would be so nice to hear that, you know, like I would be jealous of people here who would be like, yeah, my cousin lives, you know, a few streets away. Like my family is like right here, right there. So I would be like, man, I really want I want that. I want to recreate that, you know, yeah. and I thought the best way to do that was through food, mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, well, what's the food I grew up on? Pakistani food. Right. But. I also knew that like barbecue is is huge, especially not just in like Texas, but everywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I'm always looking for parallels between cultures. Mm -hmm. um, very early on, it was like negative, negatively focused. I was like, man, there's domestic terrorism happening in Pakistan. There's domestic terrorism happening here. Like, you know, school shootings happen there, happen here. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was like, I'm contributing to a narrative that is not beneficial to me or my people right mm -hmm. um and now something that a lot of people said to me at the show reception they were like we haven't seen punjabi culture be displayed in such a way where it's not a negative connotation because usually when you turn on the news and you hear news about something coming out of pakistan or whatever it's not positive news right. it's usually just flooding and terrorist attacks and 
various, you know, things going on. And it's just like, we have to take control of that narrative back. So barbecue became like a, like a bridge for me because Texans love barbecue. I love barbecue, you know, and I'm a big foodie. So I was like, okay, well, I want to serve food. I would want to eat. And I would also want it to be, I want it to be like, I've invited you to my house, you know, and like, we're sitting together at my table and I've given you food and we're talking and I'm like catching up with you. And I got to do that a little bit at the reception. I got to sit with different people and just, just catch up, talk to them. You know, um, some people were strangers. I've never met them before, but then it was like, just talking to them. It was like moments where they were like, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, that's wonderful. I've never had that experience. Yeah. It was cool. It was, and I mean, your family was here. So it, it definitely, I mean, it was reminiscent for me. It was reminiscent of, you know, those moments growing up, going to quinces or weddings or, or these big celebrations and you're there with family and the food was amazing. It was really good. Your family was super cool, friendly, and they were nice to be around. But yeah, there were, there were people, you know, from, from places. Um, I know one of, uh, um, one of our board members from Friends of the Oak Cliff Cultural Center had mentioned that he was talking to a few people and he was like, yeah, some of these people are from out of state and, you know, it's their first time here. And so just that kind of conversation generating among the people that were here, uh, it was cool to see. But I think it contributed to this idea of like, yeah, this feels like, you know, we're hanging out at Usama's. Mm -hmm. So it was really cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was there was a moment where I saw I'm part of a big <clears throat> group chat of Halal Pitmasters. Mm. And a lot of them, they posted about the event and were like, who all is going, uh, you know, who needs a ride? And it was like, I saw several of them. And then it was like this clashing, of, not even clashing. It was like a, I don't know how to describe it. Like a, I saw people from the art world that mm. I know come to art openings mm. and come to, come yes. to events. And then I saw the pit masters and then I saw just friends in general who had heard about the event and wanted mm. to check it out. And it was like, multiple audiences in one setting because again like it's about inclusion right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. i'm not going to turn anybody away if they're hungry and they want company mm -hmm. right that doesn't feel right to do that and like when we had family events and family occasions of course it's family right like you don't really have people come out to those but here by extending that food to to strangers or to people I'm, i know i'm trying to say that like hey if I can break bread with you, you know, we we are a community, you know, um, and that really picked up like when I was in grad school, the George Floyd protests were happening. And like it felt honestly like America was burning. Like I, I would get up every day and I wouldn't even look at the news. It just felt like in the air, like things are are not well, you know, and I was like, man, I can't I couldn't go protest because I was diabetic. I'm like, you know, COVID is like a big, very rampant thing and I'd had it already. So mm. I was like scared of like, okay, yeah. if I, if I go out again, it's going to be a, like a bad thing because, you know, I have a comorbidity of being diabetic. So I was like, man, I want to focus on positives. I want to focus on positives. And I was like community, you know, and like, that's when I started getting into mutual aid and mutual aid then led to, okay, well, We've set up a way for people to get food, but I want to serve food in, in an artistic setting, right? Because a lot of art openings I go to, you get a very particular audience that comes in, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, and that's not, I want everybody to be able to come in, yeah. you know? 
Like, why does the person who works nine to five, what reason do they have to come see an art show? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to open the door to people and invite them in and make Mm -hmm. them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not everyone is interested in art, you know, Um, and not everyone has to be interested in art. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they should be, but um, (laughs) I think, you know, it's a good way to get those people engaged, Mm -hmm. you know, that aren't interested or maybe that don't have as much experience going to art exhibits and you know, I think in a space like the Oak of Cultural Center or any of our other cultural centers, um, we we are able to make that, you know, happen and make it more accessible and welcoming. And thank you so much for, you know, bringing your show and, and presenting the barbecue. And and it was really wonderful. Like you were back there and you were back there more than you think um, serving food to people. Yeah. And I saw you there multiple times. And I, what I thought was really wonderful about that is that you know, some people might come in and want to have a show and they also want to have food, but they're not, you know, they hire someone or, you know, there's, you know, someone else, you know, a, a caterer or something, or there's just kind of food and people just, you know, serve themselves. And the fact that you were, you know, in there doing it and making plates. And then at the end of the night you were making, you know, to go boxes so that you could take to the nurses at the hospital where you work in the evening and, I just thought that was really wonderful because it was like a really active, um, like compassion for people, you know, and, and it was, you know, not, not like that you were trying to be performative, Mm -hmm. but that you were, you know, in a way like performing an act Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, a performance artist might do, but also as just a human, like, you know, serving these people food and welcoming them and talking to them and, Um, you seem to be really, really enjoying yourself. And what I thought was really interesting is, um, you know, I was kind of walking kind of all over the place, you know, going in and taking, you know, getting shots of people in the gallery and your, you and your family, and then getting shots of people eating barbecue in our other space. And I noticed your dad, um, and I want to go back to him because this show is, is, is about him. And so I noticed your dad lingered. I don't know if I saw him leave the gallery, no. And, and venture over. And I don't know if I even saw him eat. And he, he stood in the gallery and he, you know, had his, you know, a lot of times had his hands behind, clasped behind his backs, very, you know, um, kind of stoic in a way and just very quiet and calm and just watching and watching everyone come in. And I want to know, like, did you guys have, did you have a conversation like afterwards about it? Or have you had a chance to sit down with him and talk to him about, like what he thought and he was like over the moon about like the show because any art event he's been to for me it's usually like he's like oh i don't really understand what's going on so i'm just gonna stay quiet and stay back Mm -hmm. because like he's very like if you talk to him about the dallas cowboys or you talk to him about you know like very particular things (laughs) he'll he'll talk up a storm yeah but here he had no no like experience with that and especially being front and center of so many things here yeah there were pictures there's photographs of him collage onto the paintings yeah yep and the conversations that i had with him before when i just kind of probed them about like so how was your experience when you first came here you know because he told me oh i came in 1980 and you know it was a very strange time 
you know, he was like, my, like, my grandfather came with him. He was like, yeah, like, I wasn't used to America. I wasn't used to a lot of things that people were doing here. And he said that, like, I got, I came here. I started going to school. I started working. And, you know, he was like, I went back and forth to Pakistan. And here after the show, he, like, it's very rare for him to give praise like that. Mm-hmm. But he, like, we sat down. So every Wednesday, we go to El Phoenix for enchiladas. He's he's worked <laughs> at El Phoenix. Like, he worked at El Phoenix when he first came in. The first job he had in America was there. Mm-hmm. And he's had... When like was a, this? This was, like, like 19, like, 80-something. And since 2000... And I'm like, like he, he, I'm sure he worked with some of my family. <laughs> I, I'm sure he did. He, it's, he worked at this one over here in yeah. Dallas. And mm-hmm. then he also worked at one in, like, Fort Worth. And then yeah. the one in Irving as well. And so... Every Wednesday night, we go to the enchilada Wednesday, and he, yeah, <laughs> like, and, yeah, and he sits down and he like he was quiet for a minute, and then he like because it was me and my sibling, and he goes, "Man, I am so proud of you guys because for me, he was like so many people came up to him, and he's not he he's comfortable to eat, but when he's nervous, yeah, like he won't eat, mm. you know, and so he thought that he had to stay in the gallery space in case someone came up to him and was like, could you talk to me about this yes, thing or this yes. thing? And he was like, I was just there because I didn't want to leave. He was and like ready for the on the spot interview. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and he and he just he was just like, I talked to so many people mm-hmm. who I would have never expected to talk to. And I also talked to them about, you know, they, they told me about you. And he was just like, it was so nice to hear people say, oh, like, we've been to this event of Usama's or we've, we've known him from this or this <clears> or this. <throat> um, but he was more excited about my sibling because they're very introverted. Like, mm-hmm. besides their friends and, like, they're, you know, little, you know, like. And here, the moment they came in, they were, I, I, I introduced them to, like, two people. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is my sibling. Um, Solaris, this is, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so. And then after that, they were a mini host. Yeah. Like, yes, they yes, were. Indeed. <laughs> and I loved it because like my dad was like, I've never seen you come out of your shell like mm-hmm. that. And I was just sitting there thinking in my head, like, you know, to see his kids like do things like that. Yeah. Like it was it was one of those moments where he was just like he he didn't get tearful, but he got very like emotionally like proud of us mm-hmm. and like I was just sitting next to my sibling, and I was like, oh, look at that. Look at the old man. The old man is so proud of us, you know? Like, because, again, like, when I graduated college, he was like, I'm proud of you. You know, when I graduated, yeah. like, with my MFA, he was like, well done. I'm proud yeah. of you. And it's like the rare off chance that he gives that praise. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Good. I'm going to hold it. Right. Core memory, like, achieved kind of a thing. So he, yeah, he thought that he had to stay there. And I told him at one point, I was like, are you going to get some food? Are you going <laughs> to, are you just standing here? And he goes, I'm not really hungry. Yeah. And I'm like, did you eat before you, you came? You know, yeah. I was going to serve food. And he goes, no, I didn't eat, but I just, I just want to be here. Yeah. Just in case. He's an artist. Your, your whole, your family, y- y'all are all artists. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about what you were doing and you know how the cultural center provides this space. Um, I mean, some of these things, every, everything about what happened at the opening in your show, like if we if we go back far enough and we talk about the ceremony and the ritual mm-hmm. of things like this, this is like you brought it out and, and you you sh- displayed the power of art and what it holds. Yeah. I mean, I was nervous because when I was installing, Iris was like, so who are you going to have serve food? And I was just like, <laughs> me. And, I, and she was like, but no, 
Like, you have to be talking to people. You have to be available to talk to people. And I was like, I do, but at the same time, like, a part of the ritual is for me to serve, yes. right? Like, yes. I don't want to just... One, I would have felt bad if it just it was just my mom. And my mom was just like, no, go. Go talk to people. Mm -hmm. I'll take care of it. I got it handled. Yeah. And I was like, I appreciate that. But at the same time, like, I just feel bad that, like, this is the food that we put together. I should be back here at least 20, 30, 40% of the time just, mm -hmm. to, just to do it. And she was like, no, no. We got it. You go talk to people. Like, then she straight up was just like, she gave me that critique where she was just like, you overserve. You'll give too much brisket, or too much biryani. And I was like, oh. And I was like, I'm sorry. I get excited and I want everybody to have like a full yeah. plate. Yeah. And she goes, I get that. But if you want to serve a lot of people, you have to be mindful of portions. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you're right. You're right. And she was like, I can tell you're nervous. Like, take a moment. Mm -hmm. Go, go to the gallery. Go talk to people. And I was like, okay. And. I have to just keep bouncing around mm -hmm. um, because, again, like, I mean, I see art openings, like, the artist is usually in that space. They, you know, will talk to this group of people, and then they'll talk to this person, and then they'll, you know, go over here and talk to someone else. I was like, okay, I can do that, but a lot of people weren't even trying to talk to me. Yeah. They were trying to talk to my dad, or mm -hmm. they're trying to talk to, like, my mom, or, like, my sibling, or, like, whoever, and I was like, man... It really is like family, a family event, right? Mm -hmm. um, just everybody is involved. Even though they like, my parents didn't get to see the work before. Like, when I put up the original like show, that work was very dark. Mm -hmm. um, and then this work is like a mix of dark and then like bright, colorful, you know, like vibrant kind mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was like a reflection on. <clears throat> on my dad and like yeah. you know his situations because again like when you get to know him and actually talk to him he's very warm very friendly mm -hmm. but there's this outer layer of like defense of yeah. like the walls are up because he doesn't trust whatever the situation is mm -hmm. and it's just too many times he's running the issue here you know like it's the same thing that happens like in pakistan issue can happen but he's so like used to pakistan that he's just gonna laugh it off and mm. get out of it but here language barrier cultural barrier mm -hmm. like all these barriers start coming up and then he doesn't he doesn't feel comfortable with mm -hmm. that so it was it was definitely i was like panicking because i was just like damn who's gonna who's gonna serve who's gonna, what's gonna happen and like yeah. i had people hit me up um who were like hey man if you need help yeah. if you need help and i was just like i can't ask you to do that i can't be like yeah this is the food we made but so and so is serving it you know yeah. and like my mom was like i got it yeah, yeah. your mom really took over and then yeah. shout out to lucio our bartender yeah yes Yay. yeah um who really helped out a lot Oh, yeah. um, while you're over there and, yeah lucio um, came in clutch for sure too yeah. oh yeah my mom my mom was laughing because at one point i asked her in urdu i was like hey where are the juices and lucio <laughs> turned and grabbed them yeah and me and my mom were like oh he knows he, he knows the language he's <laughs> yes. one of us now yes. you know like you're, you're invited to every yeah. family event <laughs> now man like you, if we ask you a question in urdu you're gonna say yep i'm good or like whatever yeah. like you know it was it was hilarious so in those moments like i like remember very distinctly like i was like where are the juice boxes and like yeah. he like without even like blinking or anything yeah. just went and grabbed them and i was like 
He knew, so, yeah. He was like, I was like, it's wonderful. That's he knows. So cool. <laughs> you said you, um, speaking of language, um, complete ignorance here. What What is the language? So most Pakistani people will speak Urdu, um, okay. which is like a mixture of like Hindi, Farsi, Arabic. Um, it's a lot of combination of languages from Iran, from India, from like Saudi Arabia. And those are all those influences geographically and then like Islamically. Um and then so but, you re- so you really speak like t- nine or ten languages? No, no. I I wish I I wish <laughs> I did. Um, Punjabi. I can understand Punjabi. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can speak some Punjabi, but like to the extent that my my dad can, or like yeah. there was one of uh one of the people who came to the show. Um, they we actually posted about him on mm-hmm. online, and he was talking to Charles Gray yeah. about like Pakistan and like the population and what whatnot. Um. He's a he's a Punjab too. So immediately he came like and my dad, of course, anytime someone's gonna come up and start speaking the language mm-hmm. you are born speaking, my dad was like, Yeah, this guy came up to me and he just started firing off like a mile a minute. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. And Omar was like, that, that's the guy's name. He was just like, dude, your dad like really is Punjabi yeah. because he knows like the parks and the roads and the this and like geographical things and cultural mm-hmm. things um because in Pakistan Punjabi changes dialect every couple of miles so wow. what yeah so what you're speaking you can understand the person a few blocks over but they might have some words and some phrases that only that area will be like pertinent to mm-hmm. um so that was something that I thought was really wild because my dad was like yeah like there's a Punjab in India. There's a Punjab in Pakistan, and it's the biggest region in mm-hmm. both both uh, countries. You know, so a huge population speaks Punjabi. They'll understand Urdu, but like my dad, they look down on Urdu speakers because it's like, how how could I describe Punjabi as like a very like like it's like very like it's a vernacular that's very slang oriented, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and it's like it's a fierce language where they get, they get very dirty, very vulgar with each other. (laughs) Like they'll, they'll roast each other to no end of the earth. And it's like, no one is safe. doesn't matter if you're a hundred years old, if you're two years old, if you goof up in front of them, then immediately it's like, look at this guy, you know, and immediately (laughs) it's like, and I can't, I can't like do the same things in Punjabi, but like my English tongue is very sharp in Mm -hmm. that same way. So like, I pointed that out to my old man. And I was like, "Hey, I can understand you, and I can like, but like in English, we're the same, yeah. you know? Because yeah. like, I, I, it's just growing up here, right? You grow up in mm. public school. Yeah. If you can't be able to handle the roast and then roast back, you're not going to survive. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know? That's like, yeah. so true. <laughs> Very oh, yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. Like kids are relentless. Yeah. And you know that's the same over there. Like. They're in good nature. They're not like being like malicious towards you, but just expect that if you come in with a weird looking haircut or like your pants are tucked in weird or like you know what I mean or oh, like gosh you know, yes yeah then immediately it's gonna <laughs> no. go downhill for you. Wrong socks okay. with the wrong shoes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They'll be like, "Look at him. He's so professional with his," you know, and yeah. it's like, and and it's like one of the reasons why like I used to love running through that room where all the adults were. But at the same time, I was also very, like, scared to because then my dad would, like, see me and go, 
oh, look at my son with his, you know, and I'd be like, oh, no, yeah. you know, like, he'd be like, with his Pokemon shirt and his, you know, jean shorts. And I would like, I remember one time I said to him, I was like, you have jean shorts too. And like, I said it in Urdu and like everyone went quiet for a second and then they just started roaring with laughter. That's because, funny. Because they yeah. were like, we're waiting for you to let him know yeah. and my dad was like well he got the idea from me and like somebody was like then why are you roasting him on it like you know and i just quietly like backed out of the room and was like okay i can get another food plate later yeah. i'll just come back when i'm not in the crosshairs like you know yeah, let so. me sit this out for a little exactly bit. like just give it a little time you know um i want to go back to the the miniature paintings and kind of talk about the media that you use because you're using, um, and I think I'm, I'm remembering this correctly, that a lot of the fabrics that you've used um, in the miniature paintings are from, from sari material, right? It's like a mix. mix so okay. yeah, yeah. There was, there were some materials that I found that mimicked sari material. Okay. Like the kind of same patterns yeah. and things. Yeah. yeah. Cause whenever I'm picking fabrics, I'm looking for a pattern and I'm mm. looking for things that remind me like yeah. visually of being back home. Um, anything I see, like there's these big fabric markets mm -hmm. in Lahore and I've had aunts and uncles and family members on both sides go, Oh, we need to go to this market. We go to the market and I'll see these beautiful, beautiful fabrics, like different materials, different patterns. And here, I go looking in fabric depots mm -hmm. for those similar things. Like I look at it and like when I close my eyes and I see it yeah. there, then I'm like, yeah, this reminds me of that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the fabrics for this show, I was like thinking like, okay, what did my grandmother wear? What did my aunt, my dad's sister wear? Um, like what did my cousins or like my older family members wear? Um, because again, stories, pictures, you know, like, we have photo albums and in those photo albums, I look at what people are wearing, what patterns are around them. Like my granddad's house has these different patterns from, you know, Lebanon and from mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia and from like all these different places. Um, Cause he was a judge and mm -hmm. he traveled. So he had all these different fabrics and materials. And my grandmother would frequently, you know, wear a different outfit and like in Pakistan, they call it a lawn. Like, wearing a lawn, mm -hmm. you know, and lawn is like an outfit. Okay. And they would say, oh, we have to put this lawn together because they get the fabric and then they they will hand stitch the outfit together, wow. the top and bottom. Mm -hmm. um, what we were wearing at the show yeah. is like a very like no, no bells and whistles version of yeah. that, you know, um, but – you from, and your dad. Yeah, what yeah. me and my dad were wearing. Because y'all were, were looking like real smooth. I was yes, like, yeah. <laughs> you said no bells and whistles. I was like, <laughs> it's so comfortable. It's yeah. so it comfortable. Did look comfortable. Yeah, yeah, like and it's just again adapting to heat, right? Mm. Because it's like a breathable material. Right. And most Pakistani <clears throat> people you see will wear a solid color. You know, at least Pakistani like men, mm -hmm. women will be just adorned with all kinds of pattern, all kinds of colors, and all kinds of like different you know styles mm -hmm. um that's why my mom and my sibling were like in these bright red and you mm -hmm. know like with this fabric and this fabric and this thing yeah um but like for most guys like keeping it simple is like a very like you don't want to stand out because mm -hmm. the more you stand out 
the more people are either a gonna like make fun of you mm. or talk <laughs> about you, um, or you just you can't get things done right. Mm. Like immediately you're gonna be laughed at. You're gonna be and like Pakistani culture is very strange, mm. like that. You know, um, when I go back, I'm wearing a Hawaiian print shirt, and I usually like I look like I'm a tourist. But then I start speaking the language, and they're like, "Oh, you're Pakistani, but you're not really from here." Mm -hmm. And all all through life, it's been I go to Pakistan, and they're like, "Oh, you're American. You don't know yeah. what Pakistan's about." And then here they say they hear Usama, yeah. and immediately they're like, "Oh, you're foreign. You don't know what America's about. Like, what do you what do you mean? You know, like, of course we do this thing or whatever." And I'm like, "Where do I go? Yeah. You know." Yeah. Um, and the reason why I do the community thing, because again, like communities where you're wherever you're at, mm -hmm. right? Like it doesn't matter where you're from, like you just create community around you and that's when you belong, you know? And like again, hearing Pakistani people, Lahoris who came to the show and were like, Man, like I haven't seen our culture like this. Like I haven't seen in an art setting or like yeah. in a and I was like, Man, that that meant more to me than like a lot of things, you know, just to hear my own people say that, you know. Did they feel like there was like a narrative for them there in the gallery? There was. There yeah. was a lot of that because a lot of that generation that showed up were closer to my age mm -hmm. and maybe a little older. So their parents came to America, mm -hmm. you know, around the same time as my dad, yeah. like 80s, like late 70s, early 80s. And to see that and be like, oh man, like I remember my dad going through the immigration process mm -hmm. and my dad dealing with racist or dealing with, you know, bureaucratic nonsense that like doesn't really make sense. Um, and then I, I was like so touched by that because they were like, man, like the food, the atmosphere, and it was the atmosphere that was like the comment that I heard the most, the yeah. atmosphere. They were like, it felt like <clears throat> there's these events that happen in, a lot of like Islamic situations called Dawats, D-A-W-A-T. And a Dawat is basically like an occasion where they usually have like a hall or mm -hmm. something and they will serve food there, but families come out, like a whole community will come out. And it's just an event where you get together, you might pray, you might, you know, read Quran, you might like, you know, there's a whole bunch of like activities put into one. And... I had somebody say that to me. They were like, this is the best Dawood I've ever been to. And mm -hmm. I laughed. But then I was just thinking in my head, like, this kind of is like a Dawood. Like, you know, yeah. like mm -hmm. just now with art and with, mm -hmm. you know, like in a different setting, yeah. you know. So it was it was it was nice. Um, the materials, I always like the layer materials um, because since I started painting, um, I don't think it can just be one medium you know yeah. i'm like, sorry i'm laughing because my friend who came into the exhibit he was like oh so are they all small paintings and i was like well and he was like oh he's got fabric on them and i was like well and so every time he was mentioning i was like well this one has this this one is that this one is this so yeah, yeah. oh yeah oh yeah and it's just i imagine that each material is like a different facet of the painting mm -hmm. right like it just represents another yeah. element you know I mean, for, for decades, uh, since you know, there's things that you can call paintings that, you know, maybe aren't using a lot of paint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, like, I think before I used to obliterate the surface with paint. Mm -hmm. It would used to be, like, this, like, almost destructive act. And then at some point in time, I was like, okay, I'm going to selectively pick and choose 
when to put media down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always oil. Like before, it used to be prime for oil painting. Yeah. And then now it's like watercolor and ink and, you know, marker and all these like other elements mm-hmm. that like I'm like, okay, it still maintains whatever fabric or print is there, but it can enhance it, you know? So like spots of light, spots of dark, I can like go in and just kind of, you know, push over it a little bit, but not <clears throat> overdo it, yeah. you know? And that lets things kind of breathe and kind of, mm. you know, work. Um, and yeah, the layering is just like, again, I'm always thinking two places, two places. So like mm-hmm. context situation here, context situation there. And like in Pakistan, like there's apartments, but like apartments are like six bedroom, like, you know, kind of like situations. Mm. Um, here, an apartment's like one bedroom, one yeah. bathroom, you know, very small space. And everything that happens here, I'm always looking through at a lens of, okay, well, I remember in Pakistan seeing this thing or that thing. Um, it's 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 a constant process. Like in the studio, I'll start working and I have like four or five pieces going at once. And it'll be like, I have like a big table full of fabrics and scraps and things. And then I'm literally like taping them to the surface and then sitting there and looking at it and going like, okay, mm, I think this orientation doesn't work for me. Let me readjust. Let me readjust, you know? And then sometimes it's just intuition. Like I just come in and I'm like, oh, wow, that looks really cool this way. Let me Mm -hmm. stick this onto this and see how that works, you know? And like I'll dig a hole. And I'll just start working my way out of that hole because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what can I introduce to this to make it actually work? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And at the end of it, I'm like, okay, this one is done. Like a part of me is like, okay, this is done. I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to like make it like this like kishmish mess that like you nobody can understand what's going on mm-hmm. with it, right? So especially with the small works, right? Yeah. Like it's not much surface. It's like three inches, four inches mm-hmm. per surface. Yeah. So it's like not really like I can be like, oh, this is a six foot painting. I can, you know, do a little character test in this <laughs> corner and it's still going to be okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think kind of thinking back to like when you were talking about your process and thinking about the way that you, um, you know, I mean, I'm not usually used to this. So when an artist comes in and says they want to install, it kind of, you know, throws me for a loop. <laughs> but several several artists have done that, that since I've been here at, at OC3. Um, but I really um, appreciate, too, like um, your installation because I felt like, and I'm kind of when you were talking about your process in the studio, I kind of was wondering if that was kind of the same process that you have when you did the install because you have, you know, some of the the uh, miniature paintings are kind of, you know, by themselves. Like there's like, you know, 12 inches between them and the next painting or, or however much. And then some of them are pair, kind of in these pairs or groupings. And so I kind of want to hear you talk about like, you know, what was your thought process in that? So at home on my wall, because they're so small and they're so easy to like, install deinstall yeah. um i'll have a space that's just like what would it look like on a wall in a gallery and like one of the set of paintings it's like five paintings that are yes. like in a vertical, you know, vertical that's column. one of my favorite groupings yeah. yes and that was one that literally at home i just i put one on top and then i was like working on the next one and mm-hmm. i got that one done and i was like okay 
And like I kind of messed around with like the orientation of like this one goes behind this one and this one goes over mm-hmm. here. Um, but when you had mentioned it, originally my idea had been to like I was so <clears throat> used to just having like one wall. Yes. You know? And then you were like, Well, what if you group them, you know, mm-hmm. like this and like this? And then I started looking at patterns that like were mirroring each other mm-hmm. or echoing each other, you know, things that like had a similar fabric in like element or similar, you know, paper element. And then it was like, okay, these go together. These go together. Mm-hmm. Um, the one of my grandmother and it has like things all around. That was like a conceptual thing, mm-hmm. right? Because like immediately, like for my dad, my grandmother was like his biggest supporter. Like yeah. she, you know, that was her favorite son. You know, we brought her to America when things went downhill in Pakistan and she stayed with us in America. And so every day until she passed away, you know, he would spend some time with us, but then he would go and he would sit in her room with her and just, she'd be watching Pakistani television and he would go, I mean, do you remember when we, you know, and it it was one of those things where like, I wanted to, again, that was like the light of his world, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I wanted to be like, okay, she's in the center. The pieces around it all represent the sun. You know, so it became like a clock and it was just like, okay, this is the sun at high noon in Pakistan in summer when it's 120 degrees outside and like anybody who's outside is just melting, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is the sun at three o'clock at seven o'clock at like nine o'clock where like it drops to 96 and it's still hot, but it's the nighttime has come in, you know, um, so it it was con- it was a conceptual thing on on some of them, but like a lot of it is like yeah pairings that are just like okay, these are speaking to each other, yeah. you know. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing that there's a documentary. I don't remember where they have it now, but it's about the Barnes collection, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I thought I was so impressed with how that came together because I was like, man, this isn't just this white space where it's just artwork, right? It's got seating arrangements and it's got you know like furniture and it's got other things that like make it a welcoming space Mm -hmm. um i don't know i think i didn't really think too much about spaces until smu yeah you know i didn't really think too much about it until i was made like i felt like the minority quota Mm -hmm. there and i had had people from the faculty tell me that you know like and that really just messed with my head yeah um and then I began to really consider, like, who am I showing work for? Yeah. What what audience am I trying to bring into a space, right? I was like, every show I had done till then, I was like, okay, it's either art students or other artists or the usual supporters, people who, like, go to art events frequently and are like, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. I've been to, you know, this gallery or this cultural center or this museum. But then I was like, man, most of my friends aren't act like you know active artists right they're welders and they're you know like contractors and they're people who work in corporate settings or in other settings you know um and i was like man how do i bring them into a space and i was like one i can be genuine about my work i don't want to again talk about terrorism all the time yeah um and then two i was like food Right. Like, cause like, mm-hmm. I was like, anytime I go to an event, the first thing I notice that disappears 
is that little tray table where all the cheeses and all the crackers and stuff are. Like, and I, I thought about it because, like, at UNT, literally one day I was like, like I was in the elevator and these like kids were talking about it and they're like, oh, that opening is happening at the gallery downstairs. And like the first question that came out of someone's house was like, is there still cheeses and and like you know like snacks and things? I was like, yeah. And the elevator opens and they like boom, but yeah, they rush to it. And I'm like calmly walking because I'm like, okay, let's see what happens. And yeah, there's not as many people even in the gallery. Yeah. But that little refreshment snack table is just being decimated, you know, yeah. by like hungry students. I don't think that was true for your show though. I think you had community that was here for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even if they didn't know you, they were here to, they were interested in the, in the exhibition and your work and, um, the barbecue was just like a plus. It was like an added bonus, you know, for them for coming kind of like a reward. Oh yeah. (laughs) And at one point I noticed that like in the gallery, there was maybe two or three people Mm -hmm. and then in the, oh yeah, yeah, it was like 20. Yeah. We had to bring out another table, two tables or something. Additional tables. And, And I was just like, man, like I never... You know, like, cause, like, again, like, looking at the work, people's attention span has dropped like tremendously, right? Like, uh, I remember going to the DMA and when there was like these paintings from Frida Kahlo, mm-hmm. and I remember these are like beautiful, beautiful paintings, and people weren't even paying attention to them, yeah. and I felt so disheartened by that. That like you're surrounded by history, you're surrounded by these like incredible works, but people look at it for like six seconds, seven seconds at most. Oh, okay. Oh, that's kind of interesting, you know, and then they leave. But like with food, immediately, like you can't. I've seen people who get up in the middle of a meal and like are like, oh, I'm done. But here, people were sitting down, they were finishing up everything. Like people were taking to go boxes, mm-hmm. which I was like, that that really makes me excited because the last time we did like the event with the Afghan barbecue, mm-hmm. I was like, man, we have this food left over. What should we do? And then I was like, I was like, there's displaced population all over the Metroplex who can get food, you know? And, like, working with homeless people, I've learned that there are certain caveats that work with homeless people and some that don't. If you offer them assistance to a great degree, they might be like, no, I'm good. But, like, a box of food, most everyone's going to be like, yeah, I'll take that, you know? Um, And, again, like, I'm very much so thinking like i don't want any of this food to go to waste i don't want anyone to be left hungry mm-hmm. um that's why i did that for the nurses because like i called work and was like hey how many people are on staff tonight is anyone eating dinner yet you know and like yeah. most of them at the night shift they eat dinner at like one or two yeah. in the morning three in the morning right so i was like okay let me see who's hungry for it and when i went like i remember one of the other texts he was just stunned he was like, wait, this is for us? And I was like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, because day shift folks get pizza party and they get, you know, yeah. all the amenities that happens when the hospital is fully staffed during the yeah. day. But then if you come in at night, you know, you're left to your own, like, figure it out. You, yeah. you guys can figure it out. And I was like, yeah. I don't want to do that. I want them to know they're valued, you know, and food is a good, like, it's a love language for me, mm-hmm. right? Like, if I cook for you, if I make food for you, I really care about you as a person and as like a friend. And I want to make sure that you are taken care of. Um, Cause when I started cooking, I had friends come over just to eat, 
you know they'd get off work and they'd be like hey man i'd be like i called them like hey you off work yet yeah i just got off you want to come eat a bowl of spaghetti or you want to come eat some gumbo or you want to come try this that i'm making yeah i'll be there and they sit at the table they'll eat we'll talk about their day or we'll talk about things in general like catch up and then it's like dude that was pretty good and like now people feel comfortable enough to give me critique which I think is funny because like <laughs> I don't hear it I don't hear it about the paintings like like the, the paintings are like these are great but then it's just like this could use more salt and this could use more and I'm like over here with my little notepad like okay more salt okay you know like sure all right so yeah um I don't want to leave um this um without talking about the sculptures that you have oh, yeah. in the show because there were a lot of comments a lot a lot of people and i saw a lot of people focus on the sculpture that you have that um uses the um coveralls mm -hmm. where you've mm -hmm. like filled them with the spray foam yes um so can you talk a little bit about that piece it's called 80 paintings i think 80 paintings yeah right? i just i i roughed it to yeah. thinking about what Anytime I put on the suit when I would work, it mm -hmm. felt like a like a like a uniform, yeah. you know, like or like a I used to say like a superhero costume because mm -hmm. whenever I would put on like in undergrad, I had a red one and red is my color. Like, yeah, if I see red, then I feel invigorated. I feel like, OK, so I would put on the suit and it was like, oh, we got to build a house. Let's go build this house. If we got to go do this, let's go do this. I put on the black suit in grad school. And that suit saw a lot more paintings. Um, it's not even 80, I would say. It's probably like 100 something. Yeah. Because I just, the last four years of just making things was in that suit. So I wanted it to be displayed kind of like how people put up a jersey. Like yeah. Messi's jersey in, in Bayern Munich, you know, 70 goals in a season kind of a thing. So I became really focused on like, okay, I want to display it like that. You know, we're like, this is this period of time, this many works. Um, the other two are very, very much so like silent, quieter statement kind yeah. of things. Cause like the one that is the box with the fabric over it. Mm -hmm. um, and I was impressed that nobody like try to like peek in it or whatever. Cause like <laughs> that's literally every time I failed at a brisket, every mm -hmm. time that I like failed at a painting or I failed at anything, there's ash in that box mm -hmm. and there is a glass skull in there that is open and it had paint material in it. Okay. And I used to use that to clean my brushes and to, to work from that sometimes. Like I would, you know, fill it up with watercolor material and like that is all, I put all those failure into one box and then I threw that fabric over it. And I have the fabric like adhesive inside the box. Okay. But if you look inside, there's there's this beautiful like floral fabric mm -hmm. and floral fabric again like my my the f women in our family are very strong mm -hmm. and they have been like a very like big influence on me because like my dad his sister raised me in Pakistan I would go to her house like she she would like she would give me like two three days after I like arrived to kind of like spend time with grandparents, spend time with people, then she would just come in and pick me up. And she would just be like, all right, you know. And she was smaller than me, but she, like, would smack the hell out of me anytime I, <laughs> I did something dumb or would, like, you know, like, and she, 
had this cackle of a laugh that like I, I used to love hearing. Her name was Joji. And she's, I mean, she's still alive. She's still in Pakistan. Um, but she was such a strong influence on me because she was constantly, she quietly worked. She quietly did everything. She would crack, again, Punjabi, crack jokes at your expense to no end. Um, her own kids were so used to it that like they wouldn't bat an eye. But she would get a reaction out of me so often i'd be like joji well, you know whatever um and then on my mom's side there's she has five sisters and each of them are just you know take the shoe off and like they call it shaving the side of your head you know when like if you smack <laughs> you you know because it's just like yeah you know like it's called ganja like ganja means like bald like okay we're gonna you know and they didn't they didn't back down so from husband or person like a patron in a store like there was no fear in any of them and that was something that I was like man like again that influenced me greatly because like my lady is like that like mm -hmm. my my sibling is like that where like they don't take nonsense mm -hmm. immediately the moment they, they start sensing it yeah they will either clamp down on it and be like nope we're not gonna do that or they'll leap you know so a lot of that influence of like that fabric that like that strength mm -hmm. from like ladies go through Protection. a lot of B ladies yeah. go through a lot of BS mm -hmm. constantly. Yes, we do constantly. <laughs> and it's like it's it's crazy to me. Like, Always. you know, like here in America, there's at least like there's rights and there's laws and there's things that are trying to be in place. Some left. Some left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like and that's and that's the thing about America that always surprises me is that like like all empires, we're on the decline of this one, yeah. right? Like yeah. I think 2020 was like when like the dam broke and mm -hmm. then it started kind of falling over. And like now another empire somewhere in the world is going to start picking up the pieces. Um, in Pakistan, um, if you aren't, Pakistan is a class-based society. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I wanted to talk about in the work at some point was that me and my father and like my family and many families from like middle class to upper middle class to just even just no one who's just very very poor knows about the indentured servitude system there's an indentured servitude system that runs in india and in pakistan and bangladesh and sri lanka nepal and very frequently indentured servants live in people's houses you know they cook they clean they raise kids and it was something that I found to be disgusting. Like, it's one of the reasons why I have so much issue thinking about going back to Pakistan because I love Pakistan. I, mm -hmm. It's my home. But then it's like I can't do anything about yeah. a lot of these problems that I see. Um, so I, I'm trying to figure out how can I reconcile those emotions? Yeah. Because like even with the darker elements of the show, some of the darker works, I wanted to leave the titles that dark. But then I was like, again, narrative matters, right? Yeah. Like representation matters. So immediately I'm like, okay, I can't do that because immediately anybody who's not Pakistani or not from that society is going to look at it and be like, oh, I knew it. I knew it that it's backwards and it's third world and whatever. And it's like some parts of it can be, but for the most part, our experiences are positive. You yeah. know, um, the last sculptural piece was when I had decided I wasn't going to make work anymore. You know, it's literally my favorite Hawaiian print shirt and it's, you know, it's like collage with another fabric, but it's a dark fabric. And I was like, I don't really see value in my work. 
you know and i told i told my friend who was like dude you could have just served food and you would have had you would have it would have been successful like on yeah. its own yeah and i was like you're right i could have just done that but i make the paintings for me yes. you know at the end of the day like i'm selfish about it and I said this to like my grad committee and like my final critique. And they're like, what do you mean that if you're being selfish about the paintings? And I was like, at the end of the day, as an artist, you see value in your work. You can't allow anyone else to give your work value, right? Like collectors and friends and audience will try and do that, right? Like the more you start showing in places and the more your name starts building up, it starts becoming like a people like see this in this or whatever. But you have to give yourself that value. After SMU lost my my studio, I didn't see any value in what I was doing, yeah. right? Like the physical paintings, like, and then I was like, man, I'm dealing with my own psychology through these paintings. Um, by the time I got done with these, I remember like the night before install and I'm just looking at them. I had literally cleared the wall and I had everything on one wall and I was just looking at the wall and I was like, man, I actually feel a sense of resolution mm -hmm. towards my feelings towards my dad's side of the family. Because like when my grandma came here, I found out it was because of land and money and all these like things that don't like to me, they don't make sense. Like I would rather value friends and family than land and money, you know? And in Pakistan, that's frequently what's something that tears apart families is that an elderly parent passes away. So my grandfather passed away and then immediately he was like the bastion. He was like this strength that like, no, you can't touch that land. You can't touch that money. But as soon as he passed away and my grandmother was like, she's 80, she was like 81, 82. Immediately they threw her out on the street. They took over the house. They took over all these things. And suddenly these family members that I had grown up seeing and I had loved and I like saw them in this like almost like rosy colored glass like vision. Suddenly they were very human and they were very flawed. And I was like, man, I'm so disappointed. Um, like that piece of my grandmother was originally the title was like, there's no headstone at your grave. Because when I first went back to Pakistan after she passed away, we went to the graveyard. And gra graveyards in Pakistan are called Qabristan. Stan is like land. Mm -hmm. And Qabr is like a grave. So it's like the land of graves. We went in and my grandfather's grave has this big, beautiful, you know, headstone with like all the details. My grandmother was like a plot in the ground. No, no nothing. And I remember seeing that and my like my anger was so much. Because it was like 40 bucks to make a headstone for her. Wow. So I like the that was the one time in my life that I felt like angry enough that like I went to Joji and I was just like, you're her daughter. How did you not have $40 to put together a, a like a gravestone for her? And for the first time holding her accountable like that, she was like, oh, well, X, Y, Z thing. And I was like, you spent $40, $50 on a weekend to go out to eat. You're telling me that between you and my cousins who are now adults, who are professors and workers and whatever, you guys couldn't put together that money just to have like her name, you know? Like you guys literally left her as like a plot in the ground. And I was so angry about that for the longest time. And then finally I was like, no, we, me and my mother went, 
and we put that together. Because my dad, like, after that whole situation broke down, Pakistan is a painful place for him. You know, like, this was a place of memories and people he knew, and now, because of the way they treated him, they treated his mother, he doesn't want to be there, you know? And so that painting became, you know, she watches over us, you know, which, again, I remember American culture. I'll see those spray painted shirts of like a portrait of like somebody's, you know, passed away loved one. Yeah. Or on the back of a truck. On on the back of a truck or something that says like in loving memory of or like they watch Mm -hmm. over us. And I thought that was such a beautiful sentiment to like carry over. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to change that mentality. And so that day when I was just looking at the work and I was like, man, like immediately I knew that that painting of my grandmother was going to be the centerpiece of Mm -hmm. that installation and then also knew that like i don't have any more anger in me yeah like i can't grudges only hurt you you know people will just continue with their lives and like unless you like make it a problem for them at the most you're the one who's angry every day and like living in anger like i've done that you know like especially like again vanessa you lost my stuff i was angry every day I'll go into the studio and it's an empty studio. None of my things are there. I have no painting surfaces even. I don't have painting supplies. I have like a table, a computer, and my chair. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there looking at blank walls and I'm thinking like, I don't want to do this, you know? And like Annalisa Milan that year had like said, we're going to take a gap year. Yeah. And I was so tempted to just do the same. I was just like, after that, like the only explanation I got was they thought it was trash. And to hear that, like, about your work, like, it just, the psychological damage was way too heavy. And it was my pops who was like, you're going to have to pick up the pieces. Yeah. He was just like, he's like, they don't care. They're going to tell you the boilerplate, oh, we're so sorry for your loss kind of a thing. But they don't, they're not in your position. So all you can do is pick yourself up, make a plan. Go about your plan. He was like, I don't know what your plan is going to be, but I trust you to know. And that was one of the few times that, like, again, the advice that he gives me, he's been giving me advice since I was a kid. Like, one of the most, when I got arrested, it became really, like, important advice. He was just like, if you ever get pulled over, the cop is going to give your American friends a slap on the wrist. He's going to give you or any black and brown person in the car with you the worst possible punishment in that moment and happened multiple times like i was like i was like stunned i was like what do you mean why would they do that you know and he goes because if you're black or brown in america or you're a person of color you're not from here your name is different or you sound funny that singles you out for separate treatment you know he's like there's two justice systems and like he's telling an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old that you know, like on a casual drive to like the supermarket. And so at that moment I was like, I filed it in my head, but I didn't really like think, Oh, okay. You know, like then when I got pulled over the first time, you know, I rolled my window down and the cop had the gun drawn. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just like, Oh, like, okay. Just trying to see what you needed officer. I can't really hear you through the window. If it's rolled up, it was one of those situations where like the more experiences I've had in America as an adult, All of those things are prophetic now, you know, like he's like, yeah, the institution will treat you like this. The this will treat you like this. People will treat you like this, you know, and 
I remember at we had that talk, me, Milan, and Andrea Tostin. Tostin, yeah. And we had that talk at the South Dallas Cultural Center. And yeah. I thought that was so interesting because they said, why don't you, what about the community here? Like the Pakistani community here. And I said, I have nothing against them. Like I would love to be a part of the Pakistani community. But the big issue is just that they start focusing on little things that don't actually matter. Yeah. And it's just like, look at what that person's wearing. Look at what this person is doing. And it's just like, why does that matter? Why yeah. don't we talk about actual issues you know um and that was then i understood why my dad is so introverted why he doesn't want to yeah. spend time with people because even in a crowded room he's just listening yeah he's just listening to people talk and he's going okay is this conversation that's actually meaningful and i'm gonna contribute and it's something that's worthwhile or is it just they're kind of bsing and mm -hmm. i don't want to waste my breath you know bsing um so it's 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 prophetic, you know, and all the work before this was about my mother, you know, it was like my mother's side of the family because it had been so long since I'd seen my dad's side of the family. And as an adult, when I went back to Pakistan, that whole side has, they stopped coming together. There's no more barbecues. There's no more events. There's no more, everyone lives separate lives. You occasionally see each other, but it's not anywhere near that same level of family and com like comfort um so here i was like man i wanted to be both his life his you know experiences and then with the food yeah i want you to feel like how i felt at 10 years old at 11 years old where like it's you know 7 30 at night and like you know bring in another crate of this and bring in more of this and let like let's make more naan and let's do this like you know there's 10 people in the kitchen at once, you know, they're supposed to cook this dish and this person's supposed to cook that dish. And, you know, there's like a older aunt or like a grandmother who's there who's just like, oh, you did this wrong. Like, you have to do this this way. Remember what I told you? And like mm. the arguments and like the laughter, like, you know, it's it's things that I crave, you know, yeah. and it's like, I don't know, the constant seeking of family, yeah. you know, because like for me, community is family, right? Yes. So like, that's why... Like, I'm, I'm so thankful, even if SMU did all that, like, I got to meet Milan. I got to yeah. meet Annalise. I got to meet, like, Matthew Maher. And they both came to your show. And they came to my show. Yes. And they brought, like, when Milan brought her little baby, yeah. I was like, oh, mm. my mom is going to go crazy. Yes, and she then, did. And she did. <laughs> and, like, as soon as, like, I was like, because, like, little baby was asleep. Like, not going to wake up a sleeping baby. As soon as the baby was awake, and I remember walking past Taro with, like, little baby, I was like, Oh man, here comes Ma. And like a second later, I saw her yeah. come out and she was like, Oh, the baby! You know, yeah. and like, yes. yeah, my mom, my mom loves, loves babies, loves little kids. And, you know, two different kinds of strength, right? Like she's extroverted. She loves crowds. She mm -hmm. loves talking to people. Um, and then my dad is the other end, like yeah. quiet, observing, you know, like if you engage with him, he'll talk to you. He doesn't have issue. But like for the most part, you know, if he's unfamiliar, yeah, he's not gonna he's not gonna engage. Yeah. So. Well, I think you in the in the exhibition and in the the um, communal gathering that you presented, you brought it's it's like you've brought together like you who you are as a person, and then that includes like your your upbringing, your culture, and then your artist side, mm -hmm. and those two are really coming together now. You know, after your 
you know, the difficulties at SMU, you know, that's very problematic. And then, you know, kind of making your way through the, that on the basis of like your dad's advice and just pushing forward. And so, I mean, I hope you're going to make art again. I feel like this is, you know, maybe a step where, you know, you can see, you know, you talked about like, you know, I want to um, make work about you know, these other things and other parts of my culture um, in the future. I do. I do want to continue to make work. I this was the most successful integration of like artwork yeah. and food. Like yeah. community event. You had 100 plus mm-hmm. people at your event and like you're just a single artist. And that is really unprecedented. Mm-hmm. You know, especially for, you know, a small gallery space, a small cultural center. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning like the messy jersey and this being like the 80 paintings, but it's more than that. And I was like, man, I wonder if like at the next hundred paintings uniform, <laughs> yeah. he'll swap with an artist and it'll be like a, a jersey Oh, like, a jer- like both of us holding yeah. up like, yeah. But yeah, but I, I do think, I mean, you know, like Iris is saying, you, you, there's this, you know, you're, 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 you're this bridge building connector that's just it was really cool to see and it's been really um really exciting to be a part of yeah and i can't i can't thank you guys enough because this was the most one of the most important nights that i've ever had in my life where like the effort didn't go in vain nothing was wasted nothing Mm -mm. we had we had so much support come out we had people come out that like I hadn't seen in years in some cases um and it was just i can't thank y'all enough like because again i had just i had soured my attitude had soured towards art in general you know i was like man like i have very little time outside of work Mm -hmm. two jobs after that i'm tired you know and then i still have to take care of the house and i still have to take care of other like priorities so like i want to continue to make paintings and i want to make make more work that talks about things in America, things in Pakistan, those connections. And then also just, it's one of those conversations I've had with people, Pakistani people here that like these systems we have in place are very flawed. And that society is in turmoil right now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, like we can't, we are responsible at the end of the day. Like, no one else is going to come save us. No one else is going to come and provide comfort or safety or anything. Like, we have to be those people. We have to take that responsibility. That's a um, really strong message. It is. I mean, it's just, it was something that I kept thinking about for so long because, like, anytime I talk to people in Pakistan, they're worried about so much, right? Like, there's political turmoil. There's now turmoil from, you know, the so the TTP, there's a branch of the Taliban that function as a political party, you know, and lo and behold, the GOP here, you know, feels like that, right? Like immediately like, yeah, you know, like we backwards in both places, you know? Um, And again, like anytime there is fascism, anytime there is those kinds of evils, you have to be brave. You can't, you can't, bury your head in the sand and expect things to continue because this is our yeah. world right like when we talk about climate change or we talk mm-hmm. about women's rights or we talk about rights in general for all mm-hmm. people we have to be the facilitators for it yes um like the community element we have to make mutual aid 
because yeah. people twelve hundred dollars every six months is not is any nothing, yeah. right? Like most people's rent is more than that. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, how do we empower people to take responsibility for themselves and their community and realize that like just because that's my neighbor and I don't know them like by name or like by like their family or whatever, that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna if they need help. I'm just going to be like, nah, I can't, I can't really do that for you, you know, like, and being all over the Metroplex, like I grew up in Irving, but then I also was in Arlington and then Ulysses and then Dallas and then Plano and like all these places, like it's, it's the entire Metroplex and it's the same in Pakistan. It's like all of Lahore, all of Pakistan, like, and it's hard because you're an individual. What can you do? How much responsibility do you have? And how much can you take? So, yeah. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. But it, it can be. But I think if you break it down, yeah. right? Like, recognize that, like, you're one person, right? Mm-hmm. There's as much effort you can do. And then someone else has to meet you halfway. Mm-hmm. And, like, with this event, that's what happened. Like, with yeah. the food, like, I focused on the briskets. My mom focused on the biryani, mm-hmm. right? Like, she was like, you're going to do too much and it's going to fail. Like, yeah. she was just very direct with me. Like, when I talked to her about it, and I was like, okay, so this night, I'm going to start the brisket. I'll come over. We'll do this. And she goes, don't you have to be there to mind the brisket? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but, like, you know. And, and she was like, no. You focus on that. I'll focus on the biryani. We'll meet in the middle, you know. And then she was like, for the drinks and things, do they have drinks? Do we need to bring drinks? I was like, they have drinks, so we don't have to worry about that. She goes, bring the Shazam mango. And... <laughs> We brought mm-hmm. the mango juice and like, again, Pakistani people telling me that to sit down in a space that's not like a brown space, like a Muslim space or like a Pakistani space, mm-hmm. get served home-cooked food and then see artwork that isn't negative about Punjab and negative about Pakistan, they're like, we've never seen that before. Yeah. And I want to continue to do that, you know? Like, again, the food is the communal, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone comes in. Everyone eats. We're having a good time. Yeah. But then the work can talk about other things, you know? Yeah. And I think making sculptures is the next step. Yes. You know? making... I would love to see more sculpture from you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think we could go on and on forever and have we a, really could. A, like an all-day conversation <laughs> with you. But I know that you're headed over to to University of North Texas to teach your class, and I don't want you to be late or to have to drive crazy (laughs) to get there. Please take your time. Um, But hey, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Um, Punjabi Cowboy by Usama Khalid is open through February 11th. Um, And the gallery is open noon to 6, Tuesday through Saturday. Please come on by and see the show. Um, Look up Usama. He's on um, Instagram, on social media, on Facebook, too. Yes. Yep. Um, look him up. Uh, come see his work. Um, follow him and follow us. Yeah, please. Um, you have about two weeks, if you're listening to this podcast, as soon as it came out, um, to come see the exhibit. But again, um, thank you to Usama for you know, joining us on this Tuesday to talk about your work. It's been super exciting to talk to you. And, you know, Iris and I had even mentioned at your opening that we were looking forward to this. So thank you for adding so much context. Yes. Um, and not to sound selfish, but we we expect you to do more work, sir. Yes, thank we you. do. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. Hold me accountable because I'm... No, we will. Know. We will because... Um, and I'm, I'm not saying, you know, never wishing challenges or struggles 
struggles or adversity mm-hmm. on anyone, but I think you've done a really um a really great job of, you know, getting through those things and understanding mm-hmm. how to layer that with what you want to communicate. Yes. So again, yes, thank you very much. Um, you were s- uh, so much fun to work with, both you and your family. Yes. Um, so thank you for everything. Uh, listeners, yes, this has been OC3 Frequencies, a podcast by the Oak Cliff Cultural Center. We're a division of the City of Dallas Office of Arts and Culture. We are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And if you find us on Apple Podcasts, please rate us, review us. We love five stars. Um, You have two weeks, like we mentioned, until February 11th to check out Punjabi Cowboy by Usama Khalid. Find us, follow us, and if you have some questions, concerns, or recommendations, send us an email, send us a DM, send us uh, a comment or something. We'll try to respond as quickly as we can, but um, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to this, and we'll catch you on the next one. Goodbye, y'all. See y'all later.